sometimes it gets so bad that you have to do something that is called service recovery. Well, welcome everybody to this episode of the EM Over Easy podcast. I'm Andy Little. I don't have a co-host with me, but I have Patricia, who's our blog editor, so we can say there's two of us from the EM Over Easy crew here. Patricia, thanks for hopping on. We have three awesome guests. We got Mental Sharkey, who's a good friend of the show, a faculty at Doctors Hospital, the clerkship director, assistant program director, Mama Three, just killing it, trying to do it all. Blake Briggs, who's with us from UT Knoxville, was at USA Medical Center in, in Alabama, but recently moved, is also the host and founder of Ian Board Bums. If you haven't checked them out, you should. That's one of the few board review podcasts that I listen to regularly because you guys cover things very concisely and pretty awesome. And then Shang Yu, a good personal friend who used to be faculty at my program. I, I hate to say that used to be part, but now is the director of education at UCF Orlando, Florida at Osceola Regional Medical Center. Shane, thanks for coming on. We wanted to talk about this idea of patient satisfaction, but I want to change it to customer satisfaction. And I know as I say that, Sharky and I, we've been in the meeting where like they did this whole branding thing about customers, and I remember both of us equally being angry mm-hmm. about using that term. And she still has to work there sometimes, but we also both worked at a place. Oh, okay. Where they every time a patient would come back, what would they say, Sharky? They would, they, they, it was guests in the emergency department, and they broadcast that to the entire place. And it was, it's like just cutting yourself with a knife. You're in there back there working, and guests coming to room seven, and you're like, this is not a restaurant. Like, what? Yeah, this, there's not a list that I put you on. You came in voluntarily. I'd rather you not be here. But customer service is a big part of what we do. We wanted to talk about that topic on the, on the show and really start with your raw emotions. When you hear the word customer service, what comes to mind? at me so i'll start it, it's funny because i saw the we were looking at topics for this podcast customer service did come up and i think the visceral reaction as you said a minute ago is that you know our thought in medicine is that it isn't a business we provide but in reality it, it unfortunately is for the hospital and the marketing's part of it and they know the hospital whether they correctly or incorrectly manage the ED or don't manage it at all that well, it is the front door to the hospital with most admissions coming through and most people coming through and seeing it. So there is an element of, of in their interest of saying guest or customer to the point of they know that that is where the money's coming in. But we don't like it. We don't like it. <laughs> I, it's funny because when I was a resident and, you know, you're just trying to get the medicine down, you're trying to get the flow down, you're trying to get all these other things down, like the customer service patient satisfaction portion of things was like this nebulous field on the right. It's something that's in my periphery, but not a, 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 a direct goal of mine. And then as I've become an attending and all these other things are now becoming part of my muscle memory, they're easier to do, they're easier to manage. This thing has kind of shifted to be a little bit more center because really at the core it's like just treat these people as people right these are not just cases and rooms these are people and as long as you can do that you can check all the boxes for customer satisfaction but it's just interesting how my my attention to it has shifted as my practice has changed yeah it's interesting when you say that that I think about my residency which is where you currently work and where Patricia's a resident one month of 48 was on customer service. It was my admin month, and that's where you had to, you had to go look at customer complaint. You had to look at patient complaints. You had to call them on the phone. And but I spent another forty-seven months just taking care of patients. And so, really, even though it's a big part of what we do now, and especially if you work in academics, I spend a ton of my time in service recovery, where the residents have totally screwed 
any customer service and I go in the room and have to spend to say, yes, they, yes, they were wrong to say that. Yes, they, yep, yep, we did need to order that test. I'm so sorry. But it is interesting because it's not a big part of our training, but it's a huge part of our expectation when we graduate. And there's a huge. I like what you said about how it's kind of shifted because for me, it's been a pendulum. You know, when you, st- even today sitting here, when you said customer, it, I had like this little raw, you know, like, ugh, you know, anger. And I think that it's, Maybe the term weaponized is too much, but it has been, yeah, weaponized against us as physicians for the benefit of the hospitals, the CMGs. But when you look at the literature, and I think we all kind of instinctively know it is associated with better outcomes for patients. So why are we not fully embracing it? And maybe it's just because of how it's presented and what they're pushing on us. Yeah, I think it's more like finding the balance, especially for me as a resident, of meeting the patient where they're at and treating them like a human being, like one of my family members, and also the other side of it. I had an attending tell me once, they were like, do they think this is Burger King? Like, this is not have it your way. And so it's this balance of we need to meet the patient where they're at, but also give them, you know, we are the experts. We need to give them our medical And you can, you can have that discussion at the, the, the computer desk, like, yeah, it's not Burger King, but your, what you present to the patient has to look a little different, right? No, 100%. And Shane knows we have, Shane was at my program with a current resident who's a third year, and they very much have the this is not Burger King conversation with their patients. And I spend most of my time supervising that resident in service recovery where that resident came in here and said that I'm dumb and I don't need a chest x-ray. I'm like, well, I probably didn't say you were dumb. He probably said you don't understand what you took as dumb and which made you feel, but no, it's, you, you can have that at the desk. You can say whatever you want at the desk, in the closet, whatever. But the second you go in the patient room, it's how, how are you? What do you need? How can I help you? And I feel like when I, th- when I think of customer service, I'm reminded of a, a, of a phrase a faculty member gave me when I was a resident, Marcus Topinka, who is not, no longer works where, where I trained. But he said, the downside of medicine is, is that people are allowed to act however they want, and we still have to be nice to them. And you have to come to grips with that early. Because this isn't Burger King. Because if somebody Burger King, it spits on somebody at Burger King. They get removed from Burger King. If somebody throws defecation at the wall at McDonald's, the cops get called. I mean, it's really air, airlines and hospitals are the two places where people can just act a fool at some astronomical level. And then if you do remove them, it becomes a thing. But it's people just are going to be not so nice to you, but you still have to provide them the same level of customer service regardless of where they fall on that spectrum. I think that's a really good point because I think this – I don't know if anyone else does this. Maybe I'm just weird. But every time I go out to eat – I look at the I feel like there's I share a commonality with when a restaurant's getting totally destroyed like busy like I went out you know last night to a restaurant in on the strip and of course it's always busy because it's a strip but the customer service level is, is usually it's it's almost always exceptional here on the strip of and because uh, it's a resort setting and it's always funny because I look at their tickets lining up in the window I'm like oh this sounds like patient chart these are patient charts I'm getting some PTSD here about how busy it is but you're right I think it's so fascinating because healthcare is one of the few businesses where you know at the restaurant for example they don't have to worry about providing a ride home for somebody if they ask for a bus pass or something in the ED you're like fine I'll give you a bus pass or you have to have this battle of you know what your workup is going to be for the patient well, imagine, like, yeah. imagine if you sat down at a restaurant and you said here's a menu I don't want that menu <laughs> exactly well, I, want yeah. to, I ordered you some tests that there's not the test that I want. Yeah. It's like, well, that, this is you ordered the abdominal pain workup. You came in with abdominal pain, so here's the abdominal pain menu. I don't want to do that. Then go to a different restaurant. But we can't do that because we're in healthcare, and so we have to figure out a way to forge a relationship to where we can leave with a positive kind of. And I think the difficulty of that is that the it, I think the visceral reaction, the the weirdness in our minds, and the the anti logic that it has is that 
it's a business, but it's a business of people. Whenever you involve people, it's going to be extremely complex, and it's never going to make any sense. Also, because it's healthcare, which is, again, even lawyers, for example, they can always refuse a client, right? They can say no. And, and, and actually, same with other medical, not to diss on other fields, but like, they can just say no at their clinic, right? They can just say, yeah, we're firing you. We're not going to see you again, versus the emergency department where you can never fire anybody. It's a federal law, of course. You know, and, and that just creates that unique opportunity where you're always going to see who, no matter who it is. And it, that's just a, a unique aspect of like, yeah, it's a business, but I don't think people have quite figured out, hospitals included, us included probably, that it's a business and there's satisfaction. But you have this weird intersection with providing a service where we're the experts, but you also have to manage those expectations of people who do not speak that level of jargon and, and professional expertise. I think it comes back to the balance of everything we're asked to do and the perception of time that you have to spend with people to get to that point. Because I'll admit, I'm, I'm like Andy said, at the beginning of my career, I was the person that was like, no, you didn't come here for an x-ray. You came for my professional medical <laughs> opinion, and that's what you're getting. But now I can take a minute, literally 60 seconds, to explain exactly what I'm thinking and why I don't think they need the x-ray and the risks of radiation and everything else. And usually, most of the time, they're okay with that. I had to reframe it in my mind because I had the same initial visceral response, like, oh, customer service, I don't want to do that. But then when you strip it apart and be like, okay, if I'm just, if this was my weird cousin that came in and they had this expectation that something was going to happen, but it didn't. I don't want them to be treated like a jerk, but I do need to be able to be honest and clear with them. So if I reframed it, just, okay, this is a person on the other side. Like you said, just take the time to just explain a little bit. I don't know. I find more satisfaction as a provider doing that now than I did when I was a resident or when I was in training because you can see, oh, okay, that makes sense. Or I basically do a lot of validation. Yeah, I would be scared too if my chest was hurting and I'm so glad you came in to see us. So I've had to develop these scripting things that I can just roll off the tongue. Doesn't take a long time, but makes them feel heard, makes them feel listened to, reassures, but also makes it so that you don't come back to my emergency department every time you have a fever. Hey, everybody. It's Andy Little here, one of the hosts of EM Over Easy. If there was an ultrasound cover or a scanning pad that could help make ultrasound-guided procedures safer, easier, and more convenient, both for you and your patients, don't you think you'd be interested? Now, remember, inserting an intravenous device is one of the most frequently performed invasive patient interventions in the emergency department. But despite their frequency, establishing an IV can still be challenging, particularly in patients with difficult-to-achieve IV access. Failed insertion attempts can cause pain to the patient and increase infection rates. They can also be expensive for the hospital as each attempt requires additional time and procedures. Our friends over at Civco have come up with Envision ultrasound covers and scanning pads that are 100% gel free and are designed to help you insert IV devices without the use of ultrasound gel, saving you time and helping you to reduce the risk of patient contamination. Envision uses silicone adhesive that attaches easily to any transducer then instead of gel, you activate the probe with the use of sterile saline. When you're done with the procedure, you simply peel the cover off the ultrasound probe and send it to the high-level disinfection per your facility's policies. We invite you to request a free sample of Navision and try it out for yourself today. Just visit civco.com slash gelfree. That's C-I-V-C-O dot com slash G-E-L-F-R-E-E today. So, Shark, you, you jumped to the next point, which I love, is we're so what are the things that you've came up with? And for you, it sounds like scripting. You've came up with, you know, probably 20 to 25 phrases that you use, depending on the scenario, to de-escalate patients. Because I feel like that's the other problem is that typically when there's a customer service problem, patients are very angry. 
And again, unlike McDonald's or Burger King or somewhere else, I can't just remove them. I've got to save that visit. So they, one, when they get sick or they come back to the hospital and don't hold it against, well, that doctor was a jerk. I'm never going back there. Two, it's also what's best for the patient. So what are some other things that people on the table have done or have considered doing to change the customer service experience? I think one simple thing for me is, and it sounds like common sense, but we still don't do it because we're just in a game mode, is a sitting down. And a sitting down or getting on their level is the most important thing. The ED I trained in residency had no, they're all curtain beds. It was a very old ED. And so you would, there would be two curtain beds next to each other. And almost all the time you'd be in a room and someone would bump up next to you because the curtain next to you. Worst place possible. That's just the way it was. And so some people would try to scoot a chair in there or scoot something in there or at least like kneel next to the bed or squat because the worst thing you can do and one of the attendings did this to me entering year we had an empty bed at the end of shift she said i watched you with five different patients stand next to their stretcher and tell them something why don't you go ahead and lay on this bed let me stand over you and it was intimidating right and you have like a person with a white coat or not a white coat whatever scrubs standing over you trying to tell you something and it's a, a power differential that even spoken in the nicest way possible is going to be interpreted differently rather than sitting down. And they've done studies on this too, and they've shown that, we were talking about it earlier, was that patients, their perception of time in the room, right? So like if you sit down, they think you've been there for an hour versus like you really have only been there two minutes. And like we all know we're rushing room to room, but that, that person just wants to be heard sometimes. And just if you let them talk for like two minutes, it, it adds to their value of their visit. Yeah, I agree completely with that. Another thing I've started doing is, you know, after I've completed the history and physical and we've developed a plan that I've told the patient what to expect, I always ask for clarifying statements. What did you hear? What are we doing? And then follow that up with what did you expect? Is there something that we're not doing that you wanted? So I can just address it from the beginning because the problem is usually you get to the end, you're ready to dispo them. And then there's something. I thought I was getting an x-ray today and you're like, well, uh, I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't communicate with you, but that was never something I was going to offer you. But exactly. if you do that early, you can deal with that then. That's a good call. Yeah, I think as a resident, too, sometimes I don't always know what my plan is. So I get the history, physical, all the stuff, and I have an idea of what I want to do, but I still have to go talk to the attending. So I kind of will sometimes leave the room with, it's, it's kind of open, like, oh, we're going we're gonna to check some things, we're going to do, do some things. And so just that going back into the room after I have solidified a plan and orders are in, even taking that like extra 30 seconds to be like, hey, by the way, this is what you can expect. This is what we're going to be doing. Do you have any questions? And then kind of going on to the next patient. So it takes a little bit of time. I, I love that move, though, that whenever something changes, actually just go talk to the patient. And that's a big thing I teach my residents. And I do on a pretty routine basis to where I ordered some stuff and I got results I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. And rather than just like saying, oh, they need a CAT scan now and just order it, just say, hey, by the way, they're going to come take you to get a CAT scan, lay down for 30 seconds, explain what it is. But this is why, and this is where our plan shifted. That goes a long way to just, oh, their life pace is 4,000. Let's order a CAT scan and I'll think about it. And then they're like, why am I getting a CAT scan? They don't want to go. And then they want medicine to lay down. And like this all could have been avoided by a 30-second visit to the room. I feel like ethically speaking too, and maybe it's just my opinion, but if I were a patient in the ER or my, or my mother was or somebody was, if they were going to go to CAT scan, the doctor better come in that room beforehand and tell them why we're getting CAT scan. Because to me, that unless there was a plan way at the beginning, because medically we all know, oh, you're here for belly pain, you're getting a CAT scan. I could kind of see the reasoning, but is there something I'm missing? Or I just can't, you know, in the, the stress of going through a CAT scanner, people are very nervous about that. They don't know what's going on, right? Uh, and also the fact that it's radiation, right? And you're getting contrast radiation. Uh, contrast isn't harmful, of course, but from your talk you did earlier, but, but but radiation is. And so for me, I always tell the residents I'm working with their students, you order that CAT scan, you update the patient, you tell them that you're doing a CAT scan. What if they don't want one, you know? And so I feel like that's just another thing and that you combining two things of reassessing the patient so they know you're in the room and also telling them, here's the plan, here's what we're doing, you're okay with that. 
And those little check-ins take like 10 seconds. Yes, Sometimes absolutely. Yeah, so quick. going to the far end of the ED, as I'm coming back, I'll just stick my head in. Hey, we're still waiting on this. That's why there's a delay. I'll let you know just as soon as we get the results back. And that goes a long way. It's part of that efficiency thing. Like you never should get up for just one task, right? So you could go see a patient and on the way back to your desk, you can pop into two rooms and just be like, hey, just seeing how that migraine cocktail worked. Oh, it did? Great. Okay, now let's do all the discharge stuff, da 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 and get you out of here too. So it's very easy to work it in into your normal patient flow. One thing that I always have to remember whenever I have the urge to not be kind to people was, again, something a faculty member told me. And having gone to the ER a couple times as a patient was, nobody wants to be there. Now, I say that knowing that there are some people who come to the emergency department. <laughs> Turkey There's sandwiches. always a caveat. We don't count those people. The majority of the people we see on a daily basis did not wake up with a plan to come visit me, which is why it's different than McDonald's or Burger King or a restaurant or a vacation or a flight. Like, they woke up that morning with the hope that their day would be normal. And then something happened and I'm their only option to find a solution. And so keeping that in mind, imagining every day that I've had one of those moments where like a tire goes flat and my day's screwed and I expect people to be nice to me on my worst day, this was nobody's plan to show up. And so keeping that in perspective of, you know, well, they seem like they're demanding. Well, they weren't expecting to have the worst headache of their life and can't see out their left eye. That was not on the, I, I don't know if that's on anybody's checklist, right? And so keeping that in perspective. So, but even though we've talked about things we do to mitigate it, sometimes it gets so bad that you have to do something that is called service recovery. So if you're a faculty member at the table, you know what this looks like. <laughs> Sorry, Patricia, you, your attendings <laughs> will have to service recover for you over your four years. Sorry they promised you a brain MRI immediately. We cannot do that. You'll either overpromise or you'll underpromise and somebody get pissed off. I want to talk to the real doctor. And you're like, well, that's technically me, but I'll get my attending. You know, and, and I, I had faculty member have to service recover for me. So when you have to go into service recovery mode, what is different from that than regular customer service? I think sometimes when I was new to this concept, it was I would go in there guns blazing with with the intent to protect my staff and their intentions. But now just spending a little bit like, so where did things kind of break down? So just be a little bit more open-ended in the beginning. Like, so you came in for this. What were you expecting? What was your concern today? And then, then I can dissect it out a little bit. I can understand why this was frustrating, but this is why we're going to have to course correct or change the plan. Sounds like you're very frustrated. I would be too. So it's like some validation and some course correction. It doesn't always work because sometimes they're just so mad and they just want to yell at you. But I have noticed that like leading with that I can get to the crux of the problem a little bit faster and therefore I can get out of the room a little bit faster. I think you have to toe the line. That's the hard part is not choose sides. Obviously, I'm going to support the resident or whatever staff member is working with me more than anything. But to the perception of the patient, I'm there for them. Sometimes I'll bring the, the resident or whoever it was that the issue is with into the room with me and like to just hash it out, kind of be a mediator type thing. And I think just bringing things back to perspective really helps it. Like, yes, there was emotion. This is what happened. We're all human. Let's get to the point of fixing you. Let's get back to taking care of you. Exactly. Yeah. I agree with all points. I got nothing to add. It, it, it's sometimes I'm in full damage control. You know, it's so funny because you mentioned the beginning, and I never use the term service recovery, but I will use it from now on because it's a very funny PG way of saying it. Is when like the nurse will come get me and say, well, the resident just walked out, and now the patient wants to leave. I'm like, oh, shoot. I have to go in there. Yeah, I have to go in there and fix this, right? <laughs> so the one I will always remember is it was actually my first three months of my new job in Florida, uh, and this is peak Delta wave and COVID. Mm -hmm. 
And so, I mean, Shane remembers this. It was, we'd walk into work and there'd be 80 people boarded and we'd have transfers waiting for two days to go places. Everybody's angry. Nurses are angry. We're angry. Patients are angry. And I'll never forget, I had a patient who her daughter was diagnosed with, uh, she had her wisdom teeth out and she had a really bad abscess in her jaw, post-wisdom teeth. Because of COVID, nobody would take care of her because of concern for respiratory complaints. And so she was in our emergency department for 84 hours before she got transferred to Max Face for surgery. And so I walked into this patient, received it as a sign out and just saying, oh, hey, by the way, this person's here. I'm like, why is this person here for 84 hours? They're like, oh, they're waiting for a bed downtown. And because she was low priority, she was low priority. She wasn't going to get one. But I also knew that if she went to the hospital down there, she would just wait there for 86 hours. But basically, the mother of this patient and a nurse got in a shouting match, and I heard it. And it was like, F you, F you, you know, like a lot of explicitive thrown back both ways. I wasn't happy that it happened because, but my nurses were also really busy and they were stressed out. And I remember being called into the room because their mother wanted to leave AMA. So I read through the chart and I look at 84 hours, how long they've been there for. And I went in and the mom just like gives me both barrels to start. And I just sat down and I took it. She vented at me for 84 hours of being in the ER and how this was inappropriate. And and, and when it was over, I said, ma'am, I'm sorry. You are completely right. Because she was. I could yell. I could say, you don't cuss at my staff. Don't, don't treat people this way. I was like, your daughter has a mouth abscess that I can't fix, and I can't get you to another hospital to fix. And you were completely right. And it was, what do you need me to do? What do we need to do to make this better? And she really just like broke down and started crying. And and, and she hugged, and we got, we, I was like, you okay if I hug you? Because it was COVID. And I was like, <laughs> so I hugged her on the side, and I was like, look, here's the deal. I'm going to make a phone call. That's all I can do but I can go make a phone call to see if we can get you a bed sooner than later. And in the meantime, you're really mad because nobody's addressing her pain. What would you like for her pain? And then I apologized on behalf of the nurse and on behalf of the hospital that a shouting match shouldn't have happened, but you're right, and I'm sorry. And I was literally like waiting for the email from my director about how, well, this lady complained about you, and I was like, but I felt good about what happened, and that lady was nice the next nine hours she was in the hospital for the rest of my shift until she left. And they were happy when they left. They were excited. They were, were getting a plan. Like, saved the entire visit to where they were happy that they got the resolution that they wanted. And it's funny because like when we have those instances, you have all had those instances where like you get this like super nice patient and everything like you just you drive with them like it's such a good experience and like you feel good walking out of that room. And like that's also a customer experience, but like you get a lot of personal satisfaction out of it. But you almost have to like encapsulate that feeling and let that be that one that you open when you're getting yelled at because you're like okay this experience has to now see me through the next 21 encounters that might not have been like the best or that really one horrible one that just makes me want to like yell back so holding on to those moments are very important too when you have the the other end of the spectrum where it's very positive. Yeah, my first month of residency when I had three patients that wanted to leave AMA in the same shift when I only saw a grand you and one other (laughs) attending. Yeah, and I had seen a grand total of eight patients in the 10 hours that I was there as a very new intern. I was like, wow, I'm the worst doctor in the world. This is horrible. But I got a great... Yeah, I got a great (laughs) education in customer satisfaction, so... Well, I appreciate everybody being here around the table. Uh, As always, we have not solved the problem, but I've hopefully got you, the listener, thinking about ways you can be better at customer service and not getting so angry when you hear that term when it comes to patient satisfaction and people in the emergency department. Don't forget, we are the official podcast of the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians. You can visit acp.org to learn more about them today. 